You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. We're going to look at chapters 4 and 5 tonight. And really, like if you were going to put a one-word theme to these chapters, I think it would be very simply be trust, which is interesting in light of some of the things that we've been talking about some of the the things that maybe you're struggling with right now, some of the things that our society is struggling with economically. And as believers, what does it boil down to? boils down to trust. Who are we going to trust? Are we going to trust in the the jobs that are coming up that we've always been able to trust in, you know, the the, the promises of men? Are we going to trust in the fact that somebody tells us the check is in the mail? And in reality, we don't know if that's true, but we've, we've been able to bank on it for so long, and yet now maybe we don't have those things to trust in, and, and yet we still have the same God. And, and, but we want to hear people say the check's in the mail. Or we want to hear somebody say, yeah, I've got this job coming up for you that's going to be big time. Or we want to hear somebody say, you know, I'm going to give X amount of dollars to the church. I mean, I want to hear that. I want to hear all these these things. I, I want to hear the, the 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 promises of men to make my heart not worry so much. But in reality, all of those things are empty. And what's really true and what's really valid is the promise of God, which we've always had and and we still have. And so it boils down to trust and who we're going to trust. And in chapter four, it's it's really seen in in a way to develop trust. As they set up these memorial stones. And, and man, I think it's super important that we are developing our faith as the Bible tells us that, that we live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And, and God is using these things right now that maybe you're going through to develop faith in your life, to develop trust. And, and that's what these memorial stones were. They could look to these things and they could say, yeah, God was faithful. And they were to be reminded. And we need to be reminded of things that God has done in the past. And then as we move into chapter 5, we're going to see that trust sort of um, born out very practically. And so let's read chapter 4 and we'll talk about that and then we'll get into chapter 5. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe. And command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off or they were stopped. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones 
from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the Ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua, therefore, commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan in the tenth day of the first month and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then they spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so we we looked at last week how the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River. They were there on the banks of the Jordan, and it was time to, to cross over, and God provided the the ability for the priests to stop up the water as they held up the ark. And we looked at that in chapter 3. And they've all crossed over. And now what God is asking them to do is to set up two pillars, two memorial pillars, so that they can be reminded of what He did in enabling them to cross over, in enabling them to enter into the promised land, which we looked at extensively as a picture of the fact that God wants us to enter into all that He would have for us and that God wants us to enter into that place of of abundance and victory. And one of the places they were to set up a memorial was in the Jordan itself. And, of course, once the river overflowed, once again, once it filled back in, they wouldn't see it any longer. It would be only for the Lord to see. And I think that's a picture of the fact that that there's an element of trust that's developed in our own heart, an element of faith that only we can see. That's a spiritual thing that we have developed over time of walking with the Lord That's a quiet trust. That's a quiet faith that He's rooted and established in our own heart and and that is between He and us and and that 
is, is evident to us in our own heart. And I think that's kind of what's pictured there as they built this memorial in the river and really not to be seen by anyone. But then there was another memorial pillar to be set up in Gilgal, which would be their place of headquarters as they would kind of create a beachhead from which to take over the, the promised land. First in Jericho and then into Ai and all of the rest of the land that they were to conquer. This would kind of be their beachhead. And if you understand the military, you understand that you need a place where you're headquartered in. And that's Gilgal for them. And they were to set up this memorial pillar of stones, 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, so that they could be reminded of what God had done for them, of His provision, of of His miraculously parting the river so that they could cross in. And not to mention that, but all of the other miracles that they had seen Him do in the, in the wilderness. I mean, it was amazing the manna that He provided on a daily basis. The water flowing from the rock, the pillar of cloud, the, the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. It was an amazing provision of God. And as they set up this memorial stone, they were to be reminded of all these things. And you guys, it's so easy for us as we watch God and we walk with God and He does these amazing things in our life to forget those things. And we move on and a month later it's something else and and we've forgotten the miracle that He did just a month ago. And now we're faced with this new trial, this new challenge, and we forgot about the amazing thing He did a month ago. And And I think God wants us to to be reminded of His provision, of His miracles, of His faithful working in our life. And, and maybe it's writing things down. I think a lot of it is, is as we're spending time in His Word, we're reminded of what He did for all of the men and women of the Bible. And it builds and it creates trust. And see, a big reason why they were to do this is so that they could pass this on to their children. As the children would look and say, hey mom, hey dad, what's this pile of rocks all about? And they could say, well, let me tell you. And they could begin to recount all of the things that God had done for them. All of the miracles, all of the provision, all of the faithful working. When was the last time you, you talked to your kids about the things that God has done in your life? When was the last time you talked to your children about His amazing provision? When was the last time that maybe in the midst of a difficulty and a challenging time that you told your kids, you know what, this is difficult right now, but I want to tell you about the thing that God did in my life a year ago or 10 years ago, and, and you share with them these stories so that they are reminded, or you read them the stories in the Word of God and they're reminded of God's past working. It's it's hugely important, I think, that, that we're doing that. It builds trust in our heart. It builds trust in our children's hearts. It, it creates worship as we're reminded of these things. And so this was a way for them to develop faith, to develop trust. What are you doing? What am I doing to develop faith, to develop trust in the Lord? I think there's a number of ways that, that we can be doing that. Obviously, spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, and, and those things sound really flippant, but man, as you read the stories, especially in the Old Testament, and you see the things that God did, you think about Elisha and how God brought him provision from a crow. And when was the last time you saw a crow bring you anything? They're always coming and taking your food, right? They're always coming and taking, and yet 
God used the most unlikely circumstance. And, and that's the kind of thing that God wants for us to be reminded of so that we can see His provision. We can say, you know what? He did it for Him. He can do it for me. If God can use that little bit of oil and that little bit of flour for Elisha every day to make bread, He can do that for me. It's the same God. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And so as we're reading the Word, we're reminded and it builds trust. As we're in prayer, there's an amazing dynamic that takes place that God builds trust and faith. And He takes our worry and He creates peace. And for some reason, we understand what it does. We've even experienced it, but we don't do it. And then when we do enter into those things, man, we're so blessed and we're so blown away. And, and then we forget the next time and we, we lean on the flesh and we go and talk to other people instead of talking to the Lord. And we forget what an amazing dynamic takes place as we pray and as we read the word. Read the biographies of other believers that have gone on before us and read of the, the things that God did for them. When you read about these people, missionaries and servants of God who just trusted Him every day. You think about George Mueller. And if you're struggling financially right now, read, read the biography of George Mueller and, and be absolutely blown away of God's provision in that guy's life as he stepped up to, to start orphanages and, and had no money to do it. And literally, sometimes they would be sitting around a table with 30, 40 kids with no food, and they would pray, and there would be a knock at the door. And millions of dollars went through his hands in his years of ministry, and he died without a penny to his name. Just what came in went out, and he just trusted the Lord. And they prayed, and God provided. And when you read these stories... Your, your, your faith is built. Your trust in God is developed. And as we move into chapter 5, we see this trust put into action. And that, you guys, is where the rubber meets the road. Because it's very easy for us to say, I trust God. It's very easy, as we sang tonight, to sing great and mighty. To sing, my heart trusts in the living God. It's very easy to say these things, right? It's very easy to, to flippantly give Sunday school answers, but have they been worked into the very fabric of our life? Are they part of our spiritual DNA? If you were to, to do an MRI upon your spirit, are these things really there? Or are they just surfacy? Are they just things that you know you're supposed to believe, but they really haven't been worked into you? And you know when you're challenged. You know when the bottom falls out of everything, how you respond is the level and the depth of your trust in God. When, you're, when your health is taken from you and you, you face death for yourself or for a loved one, what, what happens to you? What, what, is, what goes through your mind? If we really believe in heaven, then we should say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So often I don't see that. I see us clinging so tightly to life here on earth. And, and God has built the desire to survive into us. It's, it's natural. But there comes a point where it, it, do we really believe in heaven? Do we really believe and trust that there's life and a better life after this? Because if we did, I wonder if we would be more anxious to get there than we are. And it's, it's easy to say that, you know, I want to go to heaven, but 
it takes death to get there. It takes, you know, possibly getting old and having some kind of terminal disease or, or having some kind of a, of a tragedy that would bring us there. Death is only tragic if, if one doesn't know Jesus. Otherwise, it's a celebration. And, and yet, so often, we, we don't have that perspective. And when the bottom falls out of, of our finances, of our economic situation, what is our perspective? Well, if we truly believe that everything we've ever had has been given to us by the Lord and, and from His provision and from His loving hands, if it's all gone, we say, well, it's His responsibility to provide. And He's going to do it. He has in the past. He will in the future. But what do we do? Oh, man, we fret and we worry and i got to go do this and I've got to make this phone call and i got to send this letter and i got to go sign up for this program. And, and you know, we're all freaked out and... And God just says, hey, stop and pray. Trust me. And so this, this trust, this faith is, is worked out in them in a, in a really applicable way. So it was, verse 1, when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. Basically, what this means is they were scared to death. They, they just, you know, were, were frightened of these children of Israel who were now entering into their territory and they knew what was coming. They knew it was their fate and, and their heart melted is a, just a, a way to describe that. In verse two, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the son, sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. It's kind of an appropriate name, I guess. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed or or were put to death because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal or literally rolling to this day. And so they just cross over and I mean, they're raring to go. You can just picture these these men of war, these soldiers, testosterone is flowing. They can't wait to, to go and, and to do what God's called them to do. But wait a second. Before we do that, we're going to circumcise all of you because all the original people that came out of Egypt, they were circumcised. You remember Moses was commanded to circumcise everyone and he did that. And, and now they're all dead. And as they were traveling through the wilderness, they, they didn't have time. Maybe they weren't set up for it. You know, whatever. It wasn't convenient, probably. 
And they didn't circumcise. So now they're there. Seems like kind of an interesting time to decide, you know what, we're going to go ahead and circumcise everybody. And you remember that later on in Joshua, they're going to circumcise some guys as a trick to then kill them. It was a military strategy, and we'll get into that. They're enemies. They did that to them. Maybe they learned it from this this time here. But think about it from a, a military standpoint. You're on enemy ground. They know that you're coming to destroy them. Hey, let's go ahead and absolutely, uh, you know, make ourselves vulnerable. Let's go ahead and incapacitate ourselves for three, four more days and make ourselves completely vulnerable to the enemy. That sounds like a brilliant military move. Let's do it. Joshua, you are an amazing strategist. I mean, the, the things you come up with, this is perfect. No, this is ridiculous. Nobody would do this, right? All of your men of war, you're just going to lay them out. And I mean, what would be the first thing that would go through your mind if that's what your general Joshua said to you? This is ridiculous. If, if the enemies hear about this, they're going to come and they're going to kill us all. But they did it because that's what God was calling them to do. Because God wanted to do a work in them before he could do a work through them. And it seemed like the most ridiculous thing in the world. And what is it right now that God is calling you to do to trust him, to prove your trust, to demonstrate your trust, that seems like the absolute opposite of what you really should do? It seems like the most ridiculous thing for you to do. And maybe it is that it would be very natural for you to, to be on the phone and to try to create something, to try to make something happen. And God says, you know what? No, I just want you to wait on me. I want you to trust me. Maybe it is that, man, it would just make sense that I go down and I sign up for this program and I get on board with that. And God says, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. Well, that seems like the most ridiculous thing in the world to do. Or maybe it is a building project when when the funds aren't there or an outreach when the funds aren't there or taking steps of faith to do things with your kids that that just don't make sense. That people would say, why would you do that? This isn't a good strategy. This isn't wisdom here from a worldly perspective. This doesn't make any sense. And you say, I know it doesn't, but this is what God's calling me to do. This is this is the thing He wants for me to do to demonstrate trust and faith in Him. That yes, I am going to give to the Lord, even though there isn't anything to give from. But this is what God's calling me to do. And, and what would a financial advisor say? What would an accountant say that doesn't have the mind of Christ? They would say, that's stupid. You don't have it. You can't do that. I remember watching my parents when, when they first came to Christ. And, you know, my parents never had any money. It was always just paycheck to paycheck and, and barely even that. And I remember watching my mom and my dad faithfully give to the Lord when they first came to Christ even though, you know, everything that they made should go out, and maybe more than that. And I remember my mom saying, no, the Lord's called us to do this. This is what we're going to give. And I, over 17 years, have watched my parents do that and watched God bless them amazingly. Watch, watch my mom go from a bus driver who, you know, just regular lady, uh, never have any aspiration to do anything other than that, to now being a successful real estate agent and just even last year in a, in a slow housing market do like a ridiculous amount of sales. 
winning awards. And it's like, what? what? And my mom is blown away by it. It doesn't make sense. But they always were faithful to just give to the Lord. And, and as they've made more, they've given more and more and supporting missionaries. What a great example. And, but it started when they didn't have anything. It started when it didn't make sense. And, and people would say, that doesn't make sense. Why are you doing that? And maybe God right now is asking you to do something that from a worldly standpoint, from the wisdom of the world, doesn't make sense. Like circumcising your military right before you go to battle. It doesn't make sense. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And so now they've entered into the land of Canaan. And guess what? They don't need manna anymore. It's an abundant land. There's, there's fruits and vegetables and, and all kinds of crops for them to partake of. And guess what? When they didn't need it anymore, it stopped right up until they needed it. And, and there's things that, that God will provide for us for a certain amount of time. And then when we don't need it anymore, it stops. And, and maybe there's some things in your life that you've kind of depended on, that you've grown accustomed to, opening your door, and there's the manna, and it's just there for you, and it's just amazing, miraculous provision of God. And now God says, you know what? You don't need that anymore. And now you go outside, and it's not there. And God says, I want to do a new work. I want to do something different. And the manna has ceased. And He's going to provide for you in a different way. Not that He doesn't provide, but He's going to provide in a different way. It was... It was pretty easy before. Open the door and there's the manna. But still, they had to trust God that it was going to be there the next day. And we could think to ourselves, oh, well, man, it was there every day before. I'm sure they just trusted God. But put yourself in that situation. Isn't there dinner on your table the night before? Hasn't your mortgage been paid, your rent been paid the night, the month before? But now it's the next day and are you trusting Him? See, it's the same thing. They still had to trust the Lord. And now they have to trust Him in a different way that God's going to provide in a more natural way through, through the land, through crops. But still you have to trust the Lord. Put a seed in the ground and it's going to come up and it's going to be something edible. Try to make that happen on your own. Try to create the seed. Try to make it happen. Try to, you know, make the water in the sun and photosynthesis. Try to make all that work. We can't do that. It's all trusting in God. And as Americans, I mean, we're, we're totally, you know, just oblivious to all that. I mean, we just go to the grocery store and, and, and we pick up the milk and we pick out the produce and we grab the meat. And, and so we, we have to trust God for, for the money, for the provision. And it's always been there in the past. It's always been there for you. And now you hear different voices. Instead of positive things, you hear negative things. Instead of, wow, things are just booming. Wow, things are just going through the roof. Wow, there's money to be made here and invest in this and, and, and buy here and sell quick and flip a house and, and it's amazing. Or, you know, all of the work at the mill or all of the, the, the work in the sales at, you know, Les Schwab or, or in any of these 
businesses, right? Now there's layoffs and now there's cutbacks and, uh uh-oh, we better go take care of this on our own. We better go do something to make this happen because it, it was me. It must have been me. It was all about me before. And now, you know, I have to make it happen in my own way again. And God says, no, I provided for you that way, but now I'm going to provide for you a different way. It was all my provision before. It had nothing to do with you. And so trust me and make ridiculous steps of faith to demonstrate that trust. I'm not saying make stupid choices. I'm saying rely on God. And when God tells you to do something, do it. When God says give and there's nothing to give, you give. When God says go do this thing and there's no way that that's even possible, then then you do it. When God says no, don't go get a job, ladies. I want you to, to trust me. I want you to stay home. I want you to continue to do what you're doing. Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, that's what I want you to do. That, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, what everybody else does. I'm not asking you to do what everybody else does. And it's not a matter of right or wrong. Maybe it's okay for somebody else. Maybe that's what God's calling someone else to do, but not you. Maybe it would be wrong for that other person not to go get the job because that's what God's calling them to do. So it's not a matter of generalizations or blanket statements. It's a matter of being sensitive to the Lord and trusting God and not your own ingenuity not your own ability. And it came to pass, verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Now this is a a logical question. Joshua was the the commander. Joshua was the the one in charge. And he sees this, this powerful military leader, And and he wants to know, who are you? Who do you represent? Are you for us or for our enemies? But listen to the response. Verse 14. So he said, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Now, no is not an appropriate answer. He didn't ask him a yes or no question. He asked him, are you for us or for our enemies? No. In other words, what this individual was saying to Joshua was, you're not asking the right question, so I'm not going to answer it. No. The, the, the right question would be, are you for me? As we're going to see who this is. As Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Now, some people believe this is an angel, but this would not be an appropriate response from Joshua toward an angel. This is clearly a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament an appearance of Christ physically before the incarnation. And how all that works and plays itself out, I don't really know. But clearly that's who it is. He worships Him. He falls to the ground, prostrate before Him. He says, what does my Lord say to His servant? Joshua instantly realizes that this is Jesus, that this is a physical manifestation of God, and He does the right thing. He realizes that his silly questions don't matter anymore. Who are you for? No, Joshua, are you for me? That's what he wants him to come to grips with. Joshua, are you trusting me? Joshua, are you ready to give yourself fully to me? As you enter into this battle, this war, this time of testing and entering in to all that God would have, are you ready to be conquered by me? Are you ready for me to have absolute control of your life? Because apart from that, you're going to fail. And we're going to see their ups and downs. But apart from Jesus being the very focus and center of this thing, they were going to fail. 
And so as they've developed trust, as then they demonstrated trust, here's Jesus physically standing before them to, to demonstrate who they put their trust in. In verse 15, Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And so, in order, you guys, for us to have the proper trust and faith in the Lord, in order for us to make ridiculous steps of faith, in order for us to create things that would develop faith in our life, as we've seen and studied in these chapters, Jesus has to first conquer us. That's what Joshua had to learn here. As he was going to go out and conquer, as he was going to go out and win victories, as he was going to go out and enter into all that God had for him, which is what God is calling us to do, first, in order for him to conquer, he had to be conquered. He had to lay his life down at the feet of Jesus. And you guys, if we want to enter into all that God would have, if we want to be victorious, if we want to live lives of faith in the midst of challenging times, if we want to trust the Lord in the midst of difficult circumstances, we have to be conquered by Him. If we want to conquer, we have to be conquered. That's what God is calling us to do, is to be fully and completely consumed by Him. To lay our lives on the altar and say, Jesus, my life is yours. It belongs to you. My family, my provision, my bills, this church, the ministries that we're doing, the ministries that maybe you're a part of, they belong to you. They don't belong to me. It's not about my gifts. It's not about my talents. It's not about my ability to go make it happen. It belongs to you. And so take me, consume me, get me out of the way so you can do your work. He wants to conquer you so that you can accomplish all that he has. Simple, but not so easy to do because we want to tenaciously hang on to our life. We're afraid to give it up. And he's calling you to give it up. He's calling you to die to yourself. He's calling you to understand that you've been bought with a price, that your life is not your own, and and quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to overcome that sin on your own. He wants to conquer your flesh. He wants to take you, and He wants to consume you, but you have to allow Him to do it. And we're asking the Lord, Hey, are you for me, or are you for my adversaries? Lord, are you for my situation here? Are you for helping me through this? Or are you not through? Are you not for helping me through this? And God says, No. No, what do you mean, no? I don't care about that. I care about you. I want you. Quit asking me, Lord, are you for me or against me? We already know the answer to that. Lord, are you going to take me through this or am I going to die over here? Lord, are all my bills, you know, going to be paid or am I going to go bankrupt? No. What do you mean, no? God says, I want to conquer you. I want you. Don't worry about all the rest. I want you. I want your life. And then I'll do my work in you, through you. Let's stand and pray together. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.